Welcome to the Porong Cast. Welcoming Juan V. All the way from Teruel. Teruel is Easter. Yes, no? and it's alive. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. New York's pretty nice. It's good to have you here. Thank you. All right, here we go. Juan V, welcome to New York. Oh my gosh, all the way from Teruel. Welcome, man. How you doing? Hi, very well. I'm very happy to be here in New York. Is it your first time? It's my second time. It's your second time. You came to the tasting exactly. last year. Last year. Wow. So I want everyone to understand where your project is. So you make, you make red wine in Spain in, uh, in a, a, a province called Teruel. Where is that? Teruel is a province that is in the northeast of Spain, beside uh, Catalonia. It's a, a very big uh, province, but with a very low population. <laughs> uh, it's a, we call it in Spanish, it's a rural area. Rural, yeah, it's the same in English, rural. Uh, where the people after the civil war in the forest in Spain, just uh, they left the towns, the villages there, and they moved to the big cities, mostly to Valencia or Barcelona. Right. And after that, uh, just the small towns, as mine, just they were almost abandoned. Just a few people living there. How many people live in Rubielos de Mora right now? In, the, in Rubielos, it's 500 people. 500 people, okay. okay. So half, half a block in New York, population, something like that. <laughs> I guess that more than, more than these people is living here in a block. <laughs> and when you think of your area, you know, you, you've you studied winemaking, you studied uh, agriculture and agronomy. And you've made wine, you still make wine in other places, and you have a history. What attracted you to start a project in your hometown and in your place? I think that winemakers uh, who are living this way of life, as me, uh, I think that all of us, we want to have our own project. If it's this project in your hometowns, it's better. But in... In my case, in my hometown was not vineyards a time ago, uh, just a few for, for the families, for fits the families, but it was not a, a big crop there. Um, so, so essentially it was for local, like home consumption, home, you know, homemade wine, essentially with a little bit of vineyards. And the issue I'm imagining is that it's so high and so cold exactly and there's a frost pressure that maybe back in the day it wasn't a good idea to plant grapes in in like a broad way yes yes it was like this you explain it well in the past uh, people always say that uh, for the altitudes and uh, because uh, my hometown is in the middle of the mountains it's a very nice place but it's a uh, very high in altitude it's very it's near very close of the ski area and then uh, for the reason in the past nobody was planting vineyards because it was a dangerous crop there for the frost for the hail storms and everything 
after study and uh, I started to to work in different parts of Spain and also around the world. Okay, I worked in Chile, New Zealand, in Australia, and inside Spain I worked in the Mediterranean area and in Ribera del Duero. I realized that uh, in a lot of wineries they started to have a problem with the ripeness because the heats and the temperature it's going up it was going up and now it's going up and for this reason winemakers uh, uh, are quite worried in some areas because uh, the the grapes start to be burned not ripening burning. right you were saying that there were like uvas tostadas essentially yes. toasted grapes toasted grapes in a lot of what may have been some of the greatest places to grow grapes in the past they might start getting a little bit of warm or the viticulture has to change exactly. in these places. And this is what attracted you to your project is that you're so high up and it's on the edge of viticulture. Absolutely. And so you have mountain Grenache, which I think it's interesting. You were saying this yesterday that a lot of people don't think of Spain as a mountainous country. They have this idea of the meseta, yes. right? And the coast. And the coast, of course, who can forget the coast? So beautiful. But there are a lot of mountains in a lot in of, Spain. A lot of in uh, in inland, we have at, at least uh, five different mountain range, and um, beside this mountain range or in this mountain range, you can find uh, a lot of uh, appellations, a lot of appellations, and a lot of uh, vines, vineyards. Then uh, I decided to to start my own project in two thousand and nine. Just uh, planting um, a few hectares in my hometown, and at the beginning it was very difficult for for the climate. But after adapt my viticulture and studying my viticulture in the area, I got the good way to do the right work in the vineyards. And at this moment, uh, I think that in the wines you can appreciate well that we are talking about real mountain wines because the altitude is. Uh, between 900 meters and 1,100 meters. I don't know in feet. Yeah, we're we're over 3,000 feet in elevation, which, you know, we throw around these these numbers all the time in the wine business. And sometimes you just we just kind of toss them off. That is very high. I've only been in a few vineyards in my life at 1,000 meters. Yes, it's one, the, the, the vineyards are one of the highest in Spain, for sure. And we have covered uh, all the vineyards by net, but mainly for the storm, for the hail and storms. And we have a very big pressure for the animals because, <laughs> <laughs> yes, because the vineyards are just the vineyards or just my vineyards are in the middle of the mountains and no more crops around. For this reason, it's uh, the, the grapes are very attractive for different kinds of animals like uh, wild pigs and others. Um, uh, for this reason, we have I don't know fences. They're fences. Yeah. You, so you you have to basically enclose your vineyards so the animals, most of them, don't go in and just take the whole crop essentially because they like to eat the grapes. Yes. 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 And I think just to paint a little bit further of a picture, what I'm imagining is. As you said, there aren't that many vineyards. Who would have planted there back in the day because it's very cold? But there are kind of these little postage stamps on the mountains. It's not a million hectare. Planted, no, you know, no, it's no. the opposite of that. It's, it's a the tiny vineyard surrounded by fences. 
And and you also the nets are are just like they would do in Barolo and some other areas where they they just cover so you exactly. reduce the hail pressure and you can keep your crop if something happens, which oftentimes it does. Yes, but but this is common in in New Zealand for the birds, in Argentina and Mendoza for because they are very high too. In Italia, you're right. Yep, but not in Spain. Sometimes the, the, the vineyards in space, the viticulture or the growers in the past were, were people that were was very poor mm -hmm. and they had no money to do these kinds of things. Now, of course, that uh, many rich wineries can do it, by, but it's, it's for me, that is very small winery. It's, it's basic to do this because I need to save my crop. Yeah, it's protective and you, you care about what you're doing. So obviously to just give it all to nature in a sense you want to protect a little bit here and there you could be in in deep trouble especially in a place with so much hail pressure exactly. you were saying that to have a growing cycle that's a little shorter yes exactly is also key because exactly. for many obvious reasons you know it's exposed to the frost part and etc yeah it's very important in that kind of climate that the bats is as late as possible mm -hmm. because uh, I think that the, the most dangerous time it's in at the beginning of May mm. because the beginning of May it's 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 crucial. Yes, look at your English man, yeah, very good. Spanish. <laughs> what are the nearest appellations to where you are? Is it uh, Calatayud? Is it like what is what is the the general appellation system look like where you are? Yeah, the, the, the nearest uh, appellation is Calatayud and then Valencia. Valencia. How far of a drive is it to your place from Valencia? One hour, uh, one hour and a half. So you're not far from the coast? No, no, no. We are not that far. No. And then to Barcelona, what's the drive like? It's four hours. Four hours, right. So just so everyone can kind of triangulate where you are. I'm from Calatayud, it's one hour and a half. Cool. And and so you planted Garnacha yep. and Tempranillo. Yes. And you did that because of the growing cycle and because you, you felt very comfortable. These would speak clearly about your terroir, where you are. What about, you bought some older vineyards too. Yes. my I'm showing my personal project with a work in a in a big group winery mm -hmm. that is in Calatayud, uh, that is called Bodega San Alejandro, doing brands are Bodia or Las Rocas. I wanted to work there because it's the nearest place to my own project. And then in I'm working there for 12 years now uh, as a head winemaker. And in that time, I, I had to discover or to find new vineyards just to feed the whole big winery. And in the area of Calatayud and surrounded, uh, there are a lot of old, amazing uh, vineyards. It's a very incredible appellation. And some of these vineyards are out of the appellation because are in a different province. That's my case, no? That Teruel, it's beside Zaragoza, mm -hmm. but the appellations just take the vineyards in Zaragoza. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Then there are a lot of vineyards, very attractive in the high mountains with a really black slate or a schist or, or quartzite that are out of the appellation. And 
they are in the province of Teruel. And I, I, I wanted during in 2015, when I was starting my first wines, I realized that I need something, a vineyard, some emblematic vineyards um, to fill my personal project. And then I started to find, to look for these kinds of vineyards. Unfortunately, uh, fortunately, I found a few of them that were very impressive and I decided to buy it. And this is an history that I like to explain because in Spain or around the world, it's very difficult to buy an old vineyard because some of them are, or most of them, are inside of Appalachian, are a very famous Appalachian, and they cost uh, a lot of money. It was not my, this is not my case. I, <laughs> I, I, I had no money and... Uh, and but I found these vineyards, and the growers were all people who are almost abandoning the vineyards, and I had the chance to to buy it for a normal price, and I'm very happy for, for this. And I have five hectares that are in a area that is called Hiloca, that okay. is a towns as Bagena, Burbagena, and San Martin, and they are. All vines around between 40 and 75 years old. And is I, this all garnacha? There is uh, there are garnacha and a local variety that is called Miguel de Arco. Right. Miguel is, de Arco, which so we taste one of your your bottlings called Kerkus. Yes. Which has a Miguel de Arco in it. And I was shocked at how different the how dynamic the wine was. And then to learn, I believe you said that there are only 10 hectare of this, yes. this local grape in the world. And I don't know anyone, even Spain heads who know this grape. Yes. It's, it's, uh, you know that now in Spain, there is a beautiful movement, young people just, uh, recovering all varieties and traditionals and minority varieties. And in my place, the, this local variety is Miguel de Arco. Also the Garnacha is coming from my area. Okay, from Aragon, but uh, but in this case, uh, Miguel de Arco, it's it's very uncommon variety. Uh, we have um, a register in Spain that uh, you can find the hectares of all the vineyards that are in the country, and I was checking this uh, this register, and it uh, it was just ten hectares of Miguel de Arco. Incredible! I'm I'm very happy to work with um, this variety. But it's also a responsibility because I have no 100% wine, not now, not yet, sorry, mm. uh, 100% Miguel de Arco. I, I will do it, but I will, I want to do it well after studying how is aging, how is uh, going the fruit, everything. And I'm working now in the viticulture of these plots, trying to get the most beautiful fruit of Miguel de Arco. Maybe in the in a couple of years someone finds a Miguel de Arco and is the best and it's the first. But I I would like to do it well. For this reason, I'm not in hurry. That's I think that's the sign of a really thoughtful winemaker is to not yes. be in a rush and to really let a place and a, a, something like this speak to you very clearly. It's it's really your wines are very moving, man. Because I, I think that. Oftentimes, high elevation, we're talking about one of the highest elevations in all of Spain. We're talking about Garnacha, 
people automatically think of Gredos, for instance. Yes. And I was shocked at just how expressive and perfumed and beautiful and balanced uh, all of your wines were from an area that I really had never thought of as a viticultural area. I, I knew it for maybe some jamon or whatever. And uh, I think it's I think it's very exciting because it shows the the cutting edge of Spain. We're very interested in that at De Maison. We we work in Mallorca with some people that work with crazy local grapes and all over, all through Spain and France too. So you make three wines. One one little side note, if someone's in Spain, your wines are called Rubus. Yes. In the US it's called Wanvi. <laughs> yes. We had a little bit of a trademark thing that happened which is neither here nor there. But we had to make some shifts. So if you're in Spain and you see Rubus, this is the project that Juanvi is behind. And if you see Juanvi in the U.S., it's it's they're the same wines. So currently in release, you have your village wine Rubios de Mora. Yes. You have Quercus. Yes. And you have the vineyard, the, the single vineyard Bagana. Yeah, exactly. The three wines. Do you? In terms of, if you had to explain it in very fast, which I'm sure you're getting used to, the three wines, what makes them different from each other? How would you do that? Okay, the first wine, my entry level is called Juan B. Rubialos de Mora in the States. And is the, the sourcing, the grapes are 100% from my hometown. I planted the vineyards in 2008, and it's a wine that is aging in concrete tanks. But it's a, for me, it's a beautiful wine because it's, clean, it's clear, it's very direct, mm -hmm. and it's sowing the terroir, but the altitude more than the soil. That is very important, the altitude. The soil is very interesting also, but in that case, it's the altitude marking the, the style of the wine. Then Rubus Kerkus, it's a, it's a wine that I'm producing with uh, all vines, with bass vines, at, uh, between 40 and 75 years old. It's a blend, uh, Garnacha Miguel de Arco. It's aging in big barrels for six months around. I really like to show the fruit and the brightness. For this reason, I, I like to sell the wines not as young as possible, but I prefer to, to sell my wines in the young style than in an aged style. Sure. Like you're, a, you're talking about... Uh, a wine that has more, n not this long elevage style. Exactly. You're talking about something that you release and people can drink immediately. Exactly. And because I like the the fruitness, the freshness, and I think that it's better to show the terroir. For sure. Then my third wine is a single vineyard, as you said. It's, a, it's the first old vineyard that I bought in 2016. Um, it is an impressive place, an impressive plot. Is the highest plot in the area, and it's especially big for the for this area because it's almost three hectares. It, oh, it's, really? It's big and it's uncommon because in the area for the for the steps and the mountains, it's very difficult to find uh, this kind of vineyard. This is, is this is a entire face of a mountain, mm. not a mountain, a colina. I sure, think. it's a hill. Oh, the hill. Yeah. Then, but in in that case, we are having just 1,000 bottles in three hectares as the yield is very low because the plants are very old. This, uh, this, this wine is, uh, is deeper, of course, than the others. The fruit is fresh, 
but it's plenty of flavors like herbs and mountain and it's unbelievable that the the plot is the lower pH I ever seen in Garnacha. That's fascinating. Yeah, you were recounting to us that it isn't uncommon for a vine to have one one bunch of grapes in this plot. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Which are, is, I think, you know, there's another thing that, again, with the numbers, you know, you say three hectare, you say a thousand liters or so. It, it's, it's almost a, nothing. It's a fast thing to say, but I think it's kind of funny that three hectares is a big vineyard. That's one for us, you know. That's that's not a big vineyard. Yes, yes. Uh, also, I I imagine it's there are pathways leading to this vineyard. It's almost like w- taking a mountain walk, and all of a sudden there's a vineyard there. Yeah. And then to have something that's so low yielding that really every grape is so precious when yeah, when exactly. this vineyard gives fruit in this way. Uh, you 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 have to think that in, in a lot of uh, plants there are one bunch, but they have a lot of leaves working. Sure for one bunch. Yep. Then of course that the the, the the leaves it's as the air for the plant. It's the, the leaves are feeding the bunch. Then in this case all the leaves are working for one bunch for a few grapes. Then for this reason I think that the flavors are fantastic. Well, I can speak to the flavors being completely insane on that i think you do a little bit of whole cluster in the yes. in the cellar yeah. and i was just i think this is one of the most exciting cutting edge things happening that i've tasted recently because you don't get the balance of freshness very often with garnacha exactly only in the best and some of the flavor flavors that come through i normally associate with some of the most noble wines in the world so I, I'm really thankful that oh. we represent you in the U.S. And I'm really thankful to, for the work you're doing. I also just appreciate you being on the podcast. Thank you very much, Juan V. Thank you, you for having my wines. Appreciate you. Thanks for listening to the Perone Cast. I'm your host, Ryan Looper. Today's episode was produced by yours truly. Theme music by the Julian Tamers. Special thanks to today's guests. The teams at Demaison East and Demaison Selections and all of the growers in the Demaison portfolio. Remember, if you turn the bottle around, you find the Perron. It's Demaison. And if you have a Perron at a party, you should really share that thing. Quit hogging it, okay? Pass the Perron. If you like the podcast, you want to find it on one of the platforms, just search the Perron cast, hit follow. We got lots more to come. We're also on the Instagram at the Perron cast. Look forward to sharing some more with you soon. Thanks.